Welcome, bienvenue to the Fantasy Tools Podcast. This is the show where fantasy tools discuss fantasy tools. I'm your host, Eric Rentz, and I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Peterson. Our mission is to discuss fantasy baseball and the tools that we're developing that help us manage our teams. Cue that intro music. I fired up the standings, actually, for the MLB. Like, I finally look looked at them recently. Like, how are things going? I mean, I get a little bummed because I know the Twins aren't doing well. But then, to my surprise, I look at the AL East. And the Orioles are 44 and a half games out. Ouch. It's August 6th. Ow. That is... <laughs> That's really bad. And they're like, I guess they would be like 18 and a half games behind your twins. Yeah, that's horrifying. And they're not going to get better. Like, there's no reason to think that that pace is going to slow. Oh, no. The no. pace that they fall. <laughs> oh, man. They are They're going to blow through 100 losses, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's, un- I feel sad. I kind of, I have a soft spot for the Orioles. Not that I want them to win. I just don't want them to lose that badly. I feel bad when when any team is just getting that thoroughly destroyed. Yeah, uh, and they lost their best player. And they, I mean, they didn't lose their best player. They sold their best player. For nothing. They sold their best player. They sold... I mean, they sold everything that wasn't nailed down. They sold Kevin Gaussman. That just tells you how desperate they were to, like, move stuff. And they could not get rid of Bundy. Yeah. Adam Jones and Bundy are just there. <laughs> they're just... They're going They're going down hard with this ship. <laughs> we're going down with the ship, yeah. Brock, Britain. But I'm, I want to give you a chance to talk about the reason that they're 44 and a half games out. Yeah, number one and two are the Red Sox and Yankees who have yeah. 79 and 68 wins right now. That's, that is impressive stuff. I mean, they are, like, their winning percentages are otherworldly. The Red Sox are flirting with 700. I, uh, yeah, that rarely happens in August. And that, I mean, a, a four-game sweep of the Yankees who are, like, who are the second-best team, I guess the third-best team, in the AL. I'll give the Astros their due. Alright. It's it's pretty darn impressive. And very fantasy relevant. Yeah. Every single player on that team is fantasy relevant. Now. Because cause they're, I mean, their eight and nine hitters are, are producing. Yeah, when you have five game, uh, f- um, five run games on the reg. And your pitchers are, you know, not giving up runs. You have a lot of fantasy relevant people. I did, did you watch the Porcello game? That was that was impressive. Finally, back to two years ago, he pitched. He dug deep. He it, he just didn't he didn't throw many pitches. Look look up how many pitches he threw. Oh, what it was seventy eight or something. Yeah, I saw that. He's a one hitter, and the one hit was a home run. <laughs> it's like an, an epic Maddox. <laughs> yeah, I let you blather on long enough about that. How about this? This weekend, Premier League starts up again. Who's your team this year? I haven't picked one yet, actually. Ooh. 
thinking think, i mean thinking about cardiff city always a soft spot for it but yeah so premier league's back so soccer is is happening i'm excited you have bold prediction this year Who, who's gonna win it i'm not i'm not gonna make a bold prediction I don't, know. I don't have a bold prediction. I mean, I mean, no, it's going to be one of four teams. Exactly. But it's all, yep. I mean, Leicester City winning it was uh, it, crazy, but <laughs> that never yeah. happens. That's the thing. Like, there's, there's no reason to make a bold prediction because it's so unlikely <laughs> to pay off. I'll give it to, I'll give it to Man U. That's not, if, if you're, if you're holding yourself to a bold prediction, that wasn't one. Okay. I will, <laughs> here, here's a bold prediction for the Premier League. Fulham will not get relegated. I don't know how bold that is, but I'll I'll accept. That's it. a pretty bold statement because they just got elevated and they are not a complete team. All right, this week, Algorithm Club round two. We are talking PCA, so we'll do a quick introduction right after this, and then Eric is going to talk about how he tried to apply it to the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational. Some good results coming from that. And then I'm going to talk after the break about how to identify pitches and what we can maybe do with that in the future using PCA. So here we go. To be or not to be. Or forsooth, I know not why I'm so sad. <laughs> I don't know why I feel like soliloquying. Is this in your notes? <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's just always <laughs> in the back of my head. Okay. I mean, if number one in my notes is unsupervised learning that is pca is an unsupervised learning technique that's right but you gotta say more that's totally cryptic okay right no i just i i I love that line dimensionality reduction also in my notes preferentially keeping the signal and throwing out the noise how about that okay so principal component analysis is a data as a dimensional reduction um unsupervised learning algorithm which looks at a data set and instead of keeping things on an x our typical xy coordinates we come up with principal components but the idea is i you have as we've looked at data a bunch you know there's typically some sort of linear relationship in that data and so a principal component analysis attempts to do is figure out the center of that that um that data cloud as we do in in linear regression and then it tries to figure out the perpendicular axis that explains the variance along that um along that first axis now this is really easy to show on a two-dimensional data set you know, you have cloud of data, you have a line through it, then you have a line that's perpendicular to it. The idea is that principal component analysis basically is saying this is, um, this is what the variance in, in your data is. Now, where it gets interesting is when you're talking about a data set with four, five, hundred dimensions. <laughs> And then what principal component analysis is doing is it's, it's cleverly creating um, a line through that data in data space, I mean, that we can't even try to think about in, in regular dimensions, creating all these little weights that says this is the principal component of the data. This is, this is the center of the data. 
there's there's a lot of math that goes on under the hood, a lot of linear algebra that seeks to find the relationships between the variables. A lot of matrix algebra the, as well. The most Cliff's notes. Yeah. That's linear algebra. Linear algebra is matrix algebra. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. That's the basics. Let's see it in action. Well, cool. So I'll I'll go through, I'll whip through my application, which was to apply it to the great fantasy baseball invitational, TGFBI. We talk a lot about baseball player stats. Duh, that's a key component of fantasy. But today I want to get into the stats of fantasy players. Let's look at how players, how fantasy players play. This is so outside the box and I love it. It's, well, yeah, it, we'll, we'll see if it, if it actually, um, if it actually tells us enough. <laughs> All right, so I'll back up. I know that we just talked about uh, TGFBI, but just to back up again, the Great Fantasy Baseball Invitational is a set of leagues um, that that include fan- fantasy baseball um, industry folks from across the different um, different periodicals. Periodicals? Who am I kidding? Uh, the the different fantasy rag websites. Um, people from from the industry uh, basically 195 fantasy experts are taking a part in this um in this invitational it's all um it's 13 15 team leagues that are all roto and um basically there's there's two dimensions to it there's winning your own league which is really important and then there is winning the overall invitational so i was curious to see if we started looking at this um this data if we'd see different people were um uh different types of people were doing well in the overall compared to the their own leagues um or whether that or whether it was the same people i think this is great because this is one of the things that we had sort of listed as a goal for TGFBI recently, which was trying to figure out what types of, what archetypes of teams are really working and archetypes of strategies are working and where they're working. We, we didn't even, we didn't have any sort of numerical framework to do that before. No. And this is a really good, I think this is a really good start to say there is something um, just to skip to the, to the end. There is, there is something in the underlying data that I think that we can start to attack and, and see where the, uh, the weaknesses are. Well, how All about right. that? All right. What'd we find? All right. Wait, 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 wait. So why is this a good data source? I thought that what <laughs> I, I used the data that was, that we pulled a couple of weeks ago. Um, well, no, I used the scraping tool, pulled data today from the work that I had done a couple of weeks ago in pod, I believe 2.22. Excellent. Yeah. Right. You know, sometimes you can reuse this stuff. Um, so this is a great data source because we have 195, uh, experts trying to, trying their best to win, um, win in two different directions. I mean, this, this is how we can start to see how players are attacking fantasy. I also, I mean, I really like that, 
both that the teams are so deep and also that there's 16 realizations of this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we have some natural aggregation of, of these data sets. We're not just... And we're not just looking at one league where a bunch of people are out of it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So cool. And then I, a couple of reasons why I thought P- PCA would be a good tool for this specific case. Um, number one, we're assessing the relationships between vectors. That's a, that's one of the keys to PCA, right, is is understanding the relationship between the different um, different dimensions of the data, and rather than, as I was saying before, rather than trying to forecast, you know, this is really a study in what the data set looks like. And two, we're looking backwards, not forwards in this exercise. So we can look back at what people have done and really make an assessment on what that was. So it was a study into what people have, have done rather than a true forecasting tool of trying to apply that to looking forward. Um, and then last, you know, we're, I think we're trying to find the signal through the noise and mm-hmm. decide to um, build the PCA, preserve 70% of the variance of the data set. It drew up four components for us components one and two are displayed look at that it's just a point cloud (laughs) beautiful well i mean that's interesting because it tells you that there's there's still at least two dimensions left here right yeah no exactly there there's well there you can see some some clustering and what's really weird with pca to me to think about is the concept is we're trying to peel away the principal components yes Right, so we end up in data space showing all that variance in what appears to be a random, a totally random distribution across random scatter, I guess. All right, so this is all fine and good, but what does it all mean? So I decided to squeeze the PCA results through k-means. I mean, why the heck not, just to start to start to take a look at this two of these clusters are horrifying and how good they are oh yeah oh yeah and they're so much better than the rest of them but if you kind of if you look into it deeper you have i mean that team like the cluster number three just like dominates and um is slightly worse in pitching then cluster number one, but is so much better in hitting. Yeah, and then but then I think for the rest of the clusters, you can really see whether they're prioritizing hitting or pitching, and then within that, sort of whether they're prioritizing starting pitching or or relief and power versus speed. I think it's really clear in the the way that these divide it up. Yeah, it's it it is. It is clear the the different ways that people are are, um, are composing their teams. Which which cluster do you think is near the bottom, Mike? Oh, it, it's got to be cluster two. Cluster two is, I mean, most of the bottom fifteen teams, but there are a bunch of cluster fours that are in there. So this is really, I mean, all of this is really interesting because if you if you look at the ones that are filling out the top, like if you focus on those. It's sort of saying that 
you the batting average spread is really small. Like my quick takeaways from this would be the batting average spread is really small, so that's not important. The average home run spread is really big, so that's clearly important. Mm-hmm. Um, the average stolen base is, is pretty big as well, so that's important. But things like the whips aren't that different. The ERAs aren't that different. So it's sort of like everything that I've ever tried to strategize is wrong. <laughs> is what I'm learning right now. Yeah, this this is really interesting. This this really does tell you something nice about the strategy. And I think it basically tells you that you have to play by the canonical wisdom and just try to do the best you can. Well, the, right, the, exactly. The off the wall strat the off the wall strategies are cute, but they're not going to take you all the way. No. No. In this outtake, technically, one of these is an illusion. It was a 3D animation. It had the line, you know, going through 3D space, and then it had all the points around it, and you could, like, kind of see it, like, twisting. Whoa. Three-dimensional plotting is, is my, my next frontier. One day. It's not my white whale, because I haven't, like, you know, died on that hill before, but, boy, there was just, that was so many idioms that it was packed into... <laughs> Uh, idiom, sir. <laughs> My own particular... We didn't watch that one. We didn't watch nope, that one. we didn't watch that All one. Right. Can't quote it. I started my application with a simple premise, which was sometimes you just like to do a problem that you already know the answer to. Oh, thank God for the Iris data set then. And <laughs> that way I can actually complete something. This is great. Therefore, I set up a PCA system to take a look at pitchers and i just confine myself to a few and classify the pitch types from a slew of stat cast measured parameters because nice. once you have a hammer everything's a nail yep so now it's i it's going to be tough for me to break out of the stat cast uh stat cast mold here for the algorithm club but i mean i'm sure fan graphs is like wow we have not been getting our servers hit nearly as much as usual yeah this is super weird but anyway <laughs> Here's what I chose, and it's a totally biased list, and you can tell me whether you think that this will be sufficient or who oh, I might God. be missing for a future application. These are guys that I'm interested in. Justin Verlander, Cole Hamels, James Paxton, Clayton Kershaw, Julio Tehran, Sonny Gray, Max Scherzer, Chris Sale, Corey Kluber, Garrett Cole. Those are good pitchers, with some exceptions. A bunch of those are top guys. Some of them are, shall we say, not top guys. Yep. And the not top guys I picked because they're near and dear to one of our two hearts. (laughs) (laughs) So we talked a little bit at the beginning about dimensional reduction, and Eric used it to do that as well. I'm going to be a little bit more explicit in what I did, which is I took, I just stuffed as many parameters about the release of the ball and where it crosses home plate into PCA to see what I could get out. So what did I do? I used... StatCast records the X and Z, so the the left, right, and the up-down position that the ball is both released from the pitcher's hand and crosses home plate. Also, the the three-dimensional, all three velocities, X, Y, and Z, when the ball leaves the pitcher's hand, as well as the acceleration, so the change in the velocity. And then I also folded in the spin rate because it is bonkers to me that they can measure that. That really is bonkers. That is insane. Anyway, super exciting. So that leaves us with 11, 11 dimensions. This is like a totally intractable problem to sit down 
and mm-hmm. and do in 11 dimensions and so what i was trying to do is answer the question can i using these parameters that are derived can i match them up to the pitch type that was classified so yeah. you know they have they have people there watching looking and saying okay i know by eye that that is a splitter or that's a sinker or that's a, a curveball or a changeup, and so I wanted to know, can I do this just completely empirically? Spoiler alert, yes, you can. And it's really easy, like weirdly easy. So what you see, what I plotted here is that Clayton Kershaw, that the pitches are super distinct. So I plotted a cloud of points based on component one, component two, very similar to what Eric did, and then just color coded them by the type of pitch that they are. And they just split, like just simple split. It's beautiful. Yeah, three three specific clouds. So the thing that I don't understand yet, and I was hoping that I would get there. All right, so obviously, so I could have stopped there and told just you a very beautiful, complete story about how now I can feed StatCast a couple things and have it tell me what pitch it is. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that wasn't going to work for me. So now let's jump into the speculative Never Never Land. Uh, I have no idea how what these clusters actually mean and so therefore i tried to apply them to every other picture to see what was happening <laughs> right of course but the principal components that describe clayton kershaw's pitches work to describe everyone else's pitches as well so i put in a bunch from from some of the other pitches that i discussed and it it divides all of their pitches up really nicely so hmm. then i thought to myself okay what do i what do i actually want to know with this i want to know I want to try and say something about whether pitches are working for pitchers or not. Ah. Is there some way that I can separate those? Okay, so what did I do? I, With these clouds of points that have been transformed, I looked at the pitches that get strikeouts and the pitches that end up being home runs. And so what the rest of these graphs are is all of the clouds of points divided up into this, so they're spread out into the dimensional space. And then in these left panels... It's red points are balls that were hit for home runs, pitches that were hit for home runs. And then in the right panel, it's pitches that resulted in a strikeout. Hmm. Okay, so by and large, what do you see? If you take Max Scherzer, for example, you see that that the strikeouts are clustered are on one side of the clusters in principal component space. So there's something unique about the pitches that he throws for strikeouts either it's a really well located fastball or something so the yellow points on here are fastballs so maybe it's really well located fastball he also has some he also can throw uh purple which is the curveball but he really doesn't get any strikeouts on that so that was a really interesting Mm -hmm. finding to me and then there's basically there's very little overlap with the pitches that he that went for strikeouts and the pitches that went for home runs, which suggests to me that, and this is true for the rest of the pitchers too, that home runs are really like missed pitches. Like PCA is showing you that they missed whatever they were going for because there's, because it's not the pitches that result in strikeouts. The most obvious example of this to me is, um, is James Paxton that you can see, you can see when he nails his pitches, they're in a really tight location in his fastball. is in a really tight location. And then 
out on the outskirts of this cluster are balls that get hit for home runs. <laughs> like, ooh, you you really missed that pitch, huh, buddy? Yeah, didn't didn't get that, did you? That didn't, <laughs> does not look like your regular fastball, and it did not to the hitter, and he smacked it out of here. So I thought that was really interesting that PCA was able to distinguish that. The other thing is that in this in this higher dimensional space, the bad pitchers do not have separation between their pitches. So, or the Aha, worst pitchers. I, w- I was just going to get there because you, um, speaking yeah. of bad pitchers, I was just looking at Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray's pitches run together. Cole Hamill's pitches run together. I didn't plot it in here, but Julio Tehran's pitches run together. But guys like Garrett Cole, his clusters are just distinct like all four of his pitchers are in totally different locations yeah there is interesting on chris sale that he really actually has like two long clusters yeah which you've split up here uh one of the longer uh, clusters into two so chris sale what that means is that the the movement on his fastball and changeup look almost identical yeah, that I mean that's exactly what you need. Yeah, and that's that's a good thing. So there there are clearly many other layers that I would like to be able to take this in, like the goal, like it's really just the taste of trying to determine whether mm. guys are making their pitches. So my dream for this would be to be able to run guys pitches and definitively say, okay, I know why they've been doing badly. It's because they've been missing pitches. And, like, do I expect that they'll recover from that? Or is it time to send Sonny Gray to the bullpen and therefore drop him off my team? All right, you about ready to wrap this sucker up? I wanted to check in on the math world here quickly. Guys, little losers. Just raise a little bit of awareness here that there is a very prestigious set of awards that go out. Uh, called the Field Medals. Really interesting that they confine them to under 40. Had you heard of these before? I just heard about this the other day, and I was like, oh, man, I don't have time to get one of these. <laughs> I know. We are running out of time. So I read this read this Nature article. It's um, Scientific American reposted this Nature article, so this is kind of the, the key summary because how many people actually want to summarize other people's math papers? Yeah. No. It's, like, it's very small. But my favorite part of this article is that they go through these long explanations of three of the four Fields Medal winners, like describing these just very exotic math things that I haven't even heard of. And I do like hardcore math for my job. And I have no yeah. idea what these are. And then at the end, they just throw they throw a bunch of shade on a guy who's actually doing something that might be applicable in the real world. Oh God. Why would you do that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he works in an area that's closer to the real world. Like, he's just buried at the bottom. He gets, like, two sentences compared to everybody else. <laughs> like, what is going on here? Uh, yeah, man. All right, I think that about brings us to the movie review session. The Princess Bride. I had really high hopes for this movie going in, and it just exceeded them. It just oh, it again, exceeded them. Oh, nice. Just again, I was... <laughs> I was blown away by how great this movie is. It's a, it's a it's a really good movie. It's another one it's of those really movie. m- movies that we've watched where I'm like, I could watch this at any time. Absolutely, that's absolutely true. It there's so many good lines, and I think that so many of the lines 
taken out of context apply to a million scenarios yeah <laughs> oh yeah no absolutely why do you keep saying that word <laughs> yeah do you, do you not think it means what you think it means uh i i and my favorite line i i really think is tyrone you know how much i like watching you work <laughs> And I, I feel that way on every time we do like some sort of collaborative project. And I'm like, look at this thing that I half thought out. <laughs> like, yeah. You know how much I like watching you work. <laughs> right. I, I, and I'll say that. And it's like, but I'm about done. <laughs> you know, I've got a war to start with Gilder and framing another man. Like, I just don't have the time. And then, yeah, my line that just really, really caught me was, we are men of action. Lies do not become us. That's a great line. Oh, man. That's a good, it's a good line. I have to come clean about something. Oh, boy. That I can't believe that I never noticed, (laughs) which is, I don't know how I never noticed this, but just how obvious it is that it's a human in the R-O-U-S costume. Same thing. (laughs) Same thing this viewing. I, I like all of a sudden I was like, oh, you can like see their knees in the costume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you could absolutely. I did the exact same thing this time. I don't know if it's the first time that I've seen the Princess Bride on like a TV that was larger than a 21 inch computer monitor screen. Yeah. I think it is. I think it's the first time that I've watched it on like a real big screen. That could well be. It was, I just was like, Wow, this is just a dude crawling around on all fours in that costume. Oh yeah, I don't I don't know what I thought they were before, but same. I never noticed that. I don't know. I feel the exact same way though. And I said <laughs> that, I like said that out loud, and the lady was like, "Of course." I mean, look at you can like see his arms. In general, do you like the fact that it's all framed in this grandfather reading the grandson the book, or are you out on that? I do. I really like framing elements like that. I mean, like Frankenstein. I mean, just <laughs> it makes a book that much better. Good job. I agree with that. Mary Shelley. I would um I would say I'm reading the book. It's like even more in depth and it's not it's not really the grandfather reading the the story as much as it is this like this research to try to find this book that doesn't really exist, you know? Yeah. All right. Where are we going next week? I think we're just going to have to bite the bullet. And as much as I have lost this DVD at least twice, you have it for all I know. I think even the Mona Lisa is falling apart. We're going to do fight club. Wow. You ready for it? Wow. I am. Count me in. I'm set. All right. Time for a little housekeeping. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter. Fantasy tools. Mind the Z. Thank you. Mild manner for letting us use your tunes. Be sure to follow them on SoundCloud and Facebook. Feel free to email us with questions or comments. Send us messages at fantasy.tools at gmail.com. Again, mind the Z. All I've got left is we're select to you, buddy. We're select to you too. Yeah.